Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. If you'd like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Let's Read the Bible Together reading plan. We also have that plan available on our website, grove.church. And as usual, if you've got questions that you would like us to take some time to answer, please send those in. Two ways you can do it. You can send us an email with the email address at info at grove.church. Make sure to put in the subject line a podcast question. Or you can direct message our Facebook page. We are the Grove Church in Washington State. We'd love for you to DM us there. Uh, and so I would hope for you. Hope. I guess I want to invite you to send us those questions. That's and what we, I want. That's what I wanted to do. My goodness. And we hope, you know. We hope that you'll send us in questions because it's fun that way. All right. Well, this week we are going to wrap up Mark, and then we're going to start talking about, uh, you know, good old. I guess we talked about Chronicles. Did we talk about Chronicles last week? No, I think we started this we're week. We're supposed to remember that. I'm in a jumble. This this whole thing has been. <laughs> there's been so much going on. So, listeners, just so just so that you know, just you know, we know that you enjoy some inside baseball. We had <laughs> we had iHeart, and then Aaron is going on vacation, and so You're we not have to tell everybody that I know we have power recorded five episodes in two weeks. Hey, and so that's how we just do it. we are churning, and well, so it's and if all, you don't know what iHeart is, it's a it's a four day outreach that we do to the our communities here in Snohomish County. Uh, and it's something we do every, we've done every year, less the pandemic years, but uh, has been a really big part, but it is a massive undertaking. Yep. So uh, we're still kind of in the aftermath of, of what iHeart was, and it was an incredible week, but yep. that's what it is. So our my, our brains are a little bit jumbled, but not when it comes to the Bible. Evans is more than mine. Just want to say that clearly because it's the first time I've You're the one who thought Jeroboam II was a king of Judah. <laughs> Jeez. All right. Well, let's go. Prove it. I'm <laughs> just kidding. All right. Well, let's go to Mark. All right. So this week, we're really going to be talking about the end of Jesus' ministry. So chapter 11 shows us Jesus entering Jerusalem. Uh, and so and when you read almost any of the gospel accounts, you'll notice that this is where it's almost kind of like if when you read Genesis, remember how it goes really, really fast and you're covering just hundreds of years and then it zooms in on Abraham's family. Yeah. And it's kind of that way with the gospels where you're just, and obviously not hundreds of years, but you're going through like three years of Jesus' ministry and miracles, all these mm-hmm. things. And then he enters Jerusalem and then you really zoom in on this one week. And it's the last week. It's the week of Jesus enters Jerusalem and then a week later he's crucified. Um, plus, and, and then he rises again. Spoilers. So what? If you, if Is you that did, possible? I was going to say, if you didn't know that, you're probably not a Christian. In which case, <laughs> hey- how, Welcome to the podcast. Let me pitch We're so the, glad you're here. Let me pitch the gospel to you here, non-Christian listener. So, uh, but Mark- 11, 19, or 9 through 11, it shows us just kind of how stoked uh, the people were. And it says, And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so this is why Jesus, how Jesus is riding in. He's riding on a donkey. Uh, it says, blessed is, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. So yeah, this is this really cool moment where and I, I want to be careful because I think sometimes the way that this is taught is that the same people who were shouting Hosanna in the streets when Jesus came in are the same people who were ready to crucify him a week later. Shouting crucify him. Right. I don't think that is the case. And so here's- no, There might be overlap, Yeah, but I, I would agree with you. It's, I don't think it's the case either. And so I think we have this weird picture where I, I think a lot of these people, they were so it, we see this all throughout, right? Jesus is truly, it's a ministry of, for the for the downtrodden, for the people, which is kind of like, it's a weird way to say it. Um, 
And so when we see the the Pharisees and the Sadducees riling people up, I don't think that's supposed to be representative of literally the entire like nation of Israel suddenly turns on Jesus. And again, this is kind of open-handed because I suppose it, it could be true, but I think more accurately, there is this group of people who is excited to see Jesus. They are seeing him as kind of this culmination, whether or not they understand that it's not this physical kingdom, but it's the it's the kingdom of heaven coming. Um, they see him as this fulfillment of David, which again, we just finished reading through Kings. We're going to read through Chronicles. This, this is a massive thing, the whole idea of... Mm-hmm. Because um, when you're reading through your scripture, and again, put yourself into the shoes of a first century Jew, uh, the canon of the Bible has been closed for 400 years. You're reading through all of these things, and you're seeing the covenant that God made where a descendant of David will establish a throne that will last forever. And so you're looking at it, and you're like, man, I'm, we're being ruled over by you know, the Greeks or the Romans. Like We haven't been a nation in so many years. And so this moment of the Messiah coming was is just an incredible thing. And some people I'm sure were disappointed that Jesus was not this political leader, but I think the more that they were able to understand what Jesus was doing, the more beautiful it was. And you realize, oh, this goes beyond like a small nation in the Middle East being established forever. This is the entirety of the world's population being saved by, by what Christ has done. So really cool deal. Uh, moving forward, Jesus curses a fig tree. So that's, that's a famous story, but essentially he goes to it. He's looking for some figs, not fig Newtons, uh, which is, which are better than just plain figs, but you know, whatever. (laughs) I I have not had a plain fig, so I don't know. I guess. Okay. Way to call me out. Cause neither have I, I'm just assuming, (laughs) I'm just assuming they're better. Uh, and then, but yeah, he, and he curses it for not having any figs there. So there's a whole, you know, there's a whole thing that we don't have time to get into, but it's a good deal. Uh, and then he clears out the temple. So a bunch of people are just taking advantage. They're money grubbers and Jesus, you know, gets a whip and he drives them out of there. So just a reminder that Jesus is not always like a meek lamb. Yeah. Meek and mild uh, Jesus, but sometimes he, you know, sometimes he throws down. Yeah. Uh, chapter 12 gives us a few important lessons and it's interesting. I, I noticed a theme here. Um, all of them involve money in Ooh. some way. So not, and it's not necessarily that they're directly about what we do with our money, although some of them are, but he's using money as the example, as the metaphor. So this is the parable of the talents. And so this is the one where, uh, there's three servants. They all get a, they all get a, a an amount of money from their master. One gets ten. One gets five. One gets one. And so the one with ten and the one with five, they go out and they get even more. And their master's very pleased. The one with one, he just buries it and he digs it back up so that he didn't lose any of it. So and it's kind of just a metaphor for how do we use um, our you know, talents, but also just our gifts from God. Do we mm-hmm. hide them away or do we try and multiply them? There's one for paying taxes to Caesar. But they kind of try and, they try and trap him. And so he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. So essentially he's not letting them off the hook yeah. where like, yeah, you, uh, like you have to- Pay taxes. Yeah, exactly. And so and in, 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 in modern America, yeah, if you don't pay taxes, that's not going to go well for you. That's, that's gonna true. Be, that's going to be a big bummer it's for you. It's bad stewardship. Um, next up, the Sadducees are trying to trap Jesus again. And so he talks about the greatest commandment. So this one's not necessarily about the money, but it's this whole idea of um, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, uh, otherwise known as the Shema. In, uh, in Deuteronomy, we talked about that. And then the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then finally, this is the other one that has to do with money. Uh, it's a story where Jesus observes a widow giving an offering. And so there's all these people who are making a big show about all the money that they're giving. And then he observes a widow just putting in kind of like a meager amount of money. But to her, it was more 
than anyone else because mm-hmm. percentage-wise, she was giving yeah. out of her poverty. And it kind of echoes a little bit, or I guess Paul echoes this later, because if you remember, he's talking about, I can't remember who he's writing to, but he talks about the church at Macedonia, where they are just not, they don't have very much money at all. Um, and yet they're so generous and they want to, they heard about uh, one of the churches struggling and they just took up a big collection. And so I think you see that this is a, this is a huge value for yeah. Christ, clearly. Uh, chapter 13 gives us a lot of Jesus talking about the future. So he talks about the the coming destruction of the temple, which will take place in AD 70, uh, which is, if you don't know, that is one of the absolutely just monumental moments in, in Jewish history where nothing was ever the same. Uh, it's similar to, or almost exactly like the fall of Rome in Western civilization, where European civil, Euro, I guess, Mediterranean European civilization looked one way before Rome. And then when it fell, it looked completely different mm. after that. And I think that's the same thing with Judaism and Israel, where once Jerusalem is, once Jerusalem is sacked in AD 70s and the temple is destroyed, there's just the diaspora really begins in earnest. And that's why you have like people of Jewish heritage are from all over the world now because they're essentially scattered. So really tragic thing that happens. Uh, but Jesus talks about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he t- gives some hints for the end of the age, which is uh, always, always fun. Uh, and then finally, I put he gives some really important advice that we don't listen to today. <laughs> and this is when he says- That's called shots fired. Shots fired. Uh, but concerning that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when that time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work and and commands the, the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep." So basically when they ask him, well, Jesus, when are you coming back? Like when, when is the end of the age coming? And Jesus says, oh, I don't know, which is weird because that's, that might be the only thing that Jesus doesn't know. And it, it's weird also because c- correct me if I'm wrong. I believe this is the only place in scripture where we see a difference in knowledge between uh, persons of the Trinity. And so I, that I could be wrong on that, but I believe that this is the only, there's not very few, there's not very many moments that we see it first off. So I think it's, it's, I mean, if there's another instance, I could say there's maybe enough, but I can't think of anything off the top of my head because there isn't, there isn't a lot. I mean, Jesus is, is modeled a lot of knowledge and a lot of omniscience. Mm -hmm. So, and so I think one of the unhealthy things that we do is we like to play code breaker. (laughs) And so we'll be like, we do, I know. So it's like, oh was yeah, it 2018, 2015, 2015. I mean, it, it, the world ends 2021, 2012. I remember that because that was my 21st yep. birthday, and I wanted to have an end of the world party. Yep. Uh, 2000. I oh, remember. Oh, I remember 1999. Party yep. like it's 1999. We were we had a party for New Year's at the church for kids, and then the adults were in the sanctuary praying um, about the rapture <laughs> that was coming, and so it was a whole. Anyway, I remember lamenting in in, in December of 99, like I won't even ever be able to drive because I was only 15. So mine was I was like. Or get married and have the perks of marriage. Because was it 2000? So 1999, I would have been seven years old. So my big thing was that I, this is going to make me sound so stupid, but it was the Nintendo GameCube was coming out and it wasn't going to Oh my run. goodness. And so I was like, I'm not going to And it wasn't play. even one of the better machines. What? Well, GameCube was awesome. Don't GameCube, even... I'm not saying it was bad, but I'm just saying like, I would I would rather play easily 64 over GameCube I, uh, any, day, yeah, any hind- day of my life. In hindsight, yeah, 64 is a classic. Anyway, listeners, that's not why we're listening. The point of this verse is essentially... Um, 
life life is not about trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Life is about living in such a way that you know this can happen at any time. And who knows if it's going to happen in our lifetimes? It may, it may not. It could happen right this second. Nope. Oh, just okay. kidding. Bummer. Uh, or it can happen. <laughs> can you imagine? That'd be so great. <laughs> Hopefully, but so. no one would ever hear this podcast. I would hope. For- Eons later. I, I would hope that post-rapture someone finds that and just uploads it just for just for, just giggles. for and giggles. Anyway, um, but yeah, who, who knows what's going to happen? And the point that Jesus is making is not, you know, try to decode everything and mm-hmm. see when it's going to happen, but really live your life in such a way that if Christ came back today, would I be caught off guard? And the answer yeah. should be no. Well, I think it also brings a certain level of urgency that we need to be mindful of. Like, True. We don't know when the day is coming. We don't know when Christ is coming back. And, and I, f- I feel this even with my own family. Like I, I want those I know and love dearly to, to love Jesus, to know and understand the hope and the, jo- and the joy and the value and the purpose that he has. Um, and, and if I'm just sitting here like it doesn't matter, if I'm not thinking about the fact that it could be in the blink, it's a blink of an eye, it could be tomorrow, it could be now, it could be whenever. Uh, it just requires a certain level of urgency. And it's not like this force feeding, let me stand on a street corner kind of vibe, but it is. Mm-hmm. It is a, a, there's an urgent call that we have to go into the world to reach people with the hope of Jesus, to create and make disciples. And so I think that that's a big piece to it too, is don't sit back waiting. It's, I mean, the only time Jesus said we'll need to wait was <laughs> after his ascension, right. wait, and then the Holy Spirit will come upon you. But uh, I just think there's that layer to it as well that I think as Christians, we neglect um, and grow comfortable. American modernized Christians. Yeah. Now, around the world, there's different things, but anyways, I think it's important to remember the urgency that is created Yeah, ev- Jesus' words too. Every culture has its own blind spots when it comes to the Christian faith. And I think, yeah, for sure, one of our modern Western blind spots is just we, we've lost a sense of urgency a little mm-hmm. bit with that. Uh, chapter 14 is the final day before the cross. And so this is where we get uh, Jesus' feet are anointed. And guess who objects? Oh, Judas, come on. What a... What a clown that Judas. Uh, but anyway, so he objects for the money and everything, which, you know, obviously he has really pure motives as far as what he's doing. Yeah, absolutely. No, Judas is a good guy. He's not stealing or, or, or scraping off the top at all. Oh, not by any means. Uh, so after this, uh, Judas leaves to go betray Jesus. And then Jesus celebrates the Passover with his remaining disciples. Uh, so this is where we get the Lord's Supper or communion or the Eucharist. I think those are the only terms that we use for it. Uh, so as we I do, call the, it calm, calm, but calm, calm. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> as we uh, as we do those in church today, we're remembering this Last Supper, yep. and it's a reminder for us to just kind of focus on the gospel, on Jesus' yep. death and resurrection. Uh, during this meal, Jesus tells Peter that he's going to betray him three times. Peter's like, "Not Come I, on, Peter. Not I, Lord. Surely." And then Jesus is just like, "Yeah, listen, just wait. this is happening." Uh, and then Jesus goes to. Gethsemane. Hey, Boom. that's cold winning. If you've been listening the last few weeks, you know Evan hates this word. Uh, it's, it's not it, as he, bad as he stumbles over it for some reason. It's not as bad as Deuteronomy. But Deuteronomy. Anemone. Anemone. Uh, but Jesus goes to Gethsemane, and uh, which is a garden around Jerusalem, and he prays. Uh, this is where his disciples fall asleep, and he kind of rebukes them for he that. He sweats blood. Yep. Here, Judas. Yeah, he sweats blood, which is actually a thing that is physically possible. It is under, physi- uh, under crazy. insane stress. Yeah, which is. Is it because this one and then the being stabbed in the heart and having water come out are both things that sound crazy, but they're both when your body is under extreme and like maximum extreme levels of stress, both of those things are physically possible, yep. which is interesting. Yeah. Because with the sweating of blood, and I remember this is like, it's the capillaries in the sweat glands mm-hmm. that will burst. And so it'll appear like blood is what you're sweating. So. It's almost, man, it's almost as if uh, what's written in the gospels actually happened. What? Huh. 
Mind blown. I wish I could. I wish this is when, if we're ever showing the video version of this, you show, you do a mind blown emoji. Just saying. Anyways. Anyway. Uh, so Judas. That's a sore spot for some listeners because we promised forever ago. It's happening. Listeners. It's just taking longer than I would have hoped, but we're sorry. soon you'll see our faces if you want. So to. let's go back to the Garden of Gethsemane. So when this is happening, uh, Judas brings in some Roman soldiers. He betrays. No, not Roman soldiers. Sorry. Uh, Jewish soldiers. They're yes. from the Sanhedrin. And so Judas betrays them, hands them over to the high priest. And then Jesus is brought before the council of the Sanhedrin. And Peter ends up denying Jesus three times. Sorry, we're kind of, we're blowing through a lot of this. You're going to read it. Don't worry. Uh, yeah, you're going to read it. It's good And stuff. if you use this podcast to do the cliff notes of reading, then you're shortchanging yourself. Just saying. Oh, yeah read for sure. Chapter 15. All right. Chapter 15 shows us the crucifixion of Jesus. Um, and here's what I said. As, as you read through, really try to picture everything that is happening. Mm -hmm. And I think so often, one of the big mistakes that we make when we read the Bible is we just know it. We've read the story however many times. And so we don't actually pause and think about what is being described. Yep. Like think about the fact that Jesus um, is being beaten and mocked. He is God in the flesh. And yet he is being, um, he is humbling himself to endure this because at yeah. any point he could make it stop and he does not. Um, so it, it just, it's just a really good picture of how Jesus personally loves all of us. Mm -hmm. And we can imagine that Jesus knows that he was doing this for not just the world. He knows that he was doing it for me, which is a really powerful thing to think about. Uh, finally, Jesus breathes his last. Um, and then we get to, I'm just going to read the final chapter of Mark, or at least the final, like the thing that we know for sure is in the, is in Mark. And we'll talk about that here in a second, but this is Mark chapter 16 verses one through eight. And it says, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on, on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and there, and they were satisfied or saying to one another, who will roll back the stone for us to, from the entrance of the tomb? And they looked up and they saw the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples, disi disciples, go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee, there you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, trembling and astonishment, astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. So in the, that, I mean, that's just great. Yeah. And so we get- Not, the, not afraid, like not the, it's not afraid of like being scared. It It's this, like it's almost the shock and awe of like what just happened. So they had, they, they were straight beelining to- to, work, to the disciples. So. Right. Well, like, honestly, like if, if an angel of the Lord appeared in this room with us right now and it was just like, Hey, Aaron and Evan, good job or whatever, you know, like no rebuke or anything like we, he would like the angel would leave and we would be like completely. Speechless. Yeah, exactly. Like there's a level of just awe. Of it makes me moment. wonder if I'd fall on my face like Isaiah did, or if I would, or John did. Yeah. Right. Makes, it just makes me wonder. Yeah, who knows? That's Lord, true. Lord, you want to send one? No, I'm just kidding. Um, okay, so then for just for this is just for you know for funsies, but just so you're aware, beloved listener. So the last little bit of Mark is not in the earliest manuscripts. Now, this isn't anything to panic about because there's nothing in there that's like directly contradictory. And in fact, it's mostly from other gospel accounts. So the thought is what could have happened is this that section at the end was added onto Mark to kind of make it match the other synoptic gospels mm -hmm. a little bit better. Um, the only thing that is in there that is not in the other synoptic gospels is the passage about snake handling, which I thought was interesting. So hmm. if you come from a snake handling church, 
you might want to rethink that part. Uh, but please, <laughs> it's just, please do. Please do. Uh, yeah, there's a passage in there about handling snakes and drinking poison and not being harmed. And then some churches kind of interpret that as uh, instead of saying like this would be a miraculous thing, it's kind of like a, uh, hey, this is a thing that we should just do every week. It's so, cultish. Yeah, it's a little bit weird. So anyway, uh, that's the only thing that's unique to Mark. The rest I, of it- I just may have offended someone by saying that. Yeah, but. sorry. Uh, the rest of it is coming from the other uh, synoptic gospels as well. But that's how it ends. So happy ending. Jesus rises again. He's alive. It's really, it's a great deal. Uh, well, before we move on to our Psalm highlight this week, which is Aaron's, I can say it's your favorite Psalm, correct? It is That's my coming up. Psalm. Oh, so yes. we, we'll get to hear Aaron's thoughts on that. Uh, before we do, we do want to remind you to leave us a five-star review on especially Apple Podcasts and Spotify because yes, it helps. absolutely should. Yep. It helps get the podcast out there to more people. And if you leave a written review on Apple Podcasts, we will read it on air just like Catherine Rachel 14. So give you a quick shout out. Thank you for leaving us a review. Uh, Here's what she said. I just like to read it because it makes me feel better about my own life. Uh, No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but I guess kind of, I'm not lying because it's a good, anyways. Reviews feel good, yeah. But it says this, it says, Aaron and Evan did, do a wonderful job of walking through the Bible reading plan as they provide a cultural context for the time period. The occasional humor keeps it entertaining without sacrificing respect to the depth and meaning of God's word. Uh, so Catherine, I just want to say thank you for that. Uh, we try to, to, to do our due diligence in not really holding scripture highly um, because we should be. Uh, that's how I think we should be walking anyway. So, um, yeah, so that's a great review. And as Evan said, it just, it does help that it does help get the podcast. It helps us grow the community. The more people that engage with it, uh, and the way that you can engage is through giving it five-star reviews. Um, and even writing a review if you're on Apple podcast, because we want to take time to do that. I will say this, our Spotify listenership, you're, you're showing up and showing out. I think currently as of today of this recording, uh, we're show, we're sitting at 75 star ratings so far, oh, which snap. is so rad. So, uh, I just want to thank you guys for continuing to give us ratings, um, and helping us continue to grow the podcast because it's a big deal. And so I, I'm very thrilled about that. Um, not just for my own ego, but also for the ability to be, to share, uh, th- th- these conversations with you. So, um, so this this week we're only reading through three psalms. I say only because next week we're actually be reading through a bunch more. Um, but there's only three psalms, and those three psalms um, are are Psalm 132, Psalm 23, and Psalm 96. Uh, and the psalm I'm going to highlight for us today uh, is Psalm 23. And the reason why I'm going to highlight this is because selfishly it's my favorite psalm. I think of the entire book of Psalms. Uh, I remember as a kid, a five-year-old little kid, this was probably the first passage of scripture I ever memorized uh, in a small little program, which isn't really that small, is probably today, but not when I was a kid, called Royal Rangers. Uh, and I was a little straight arrow at five years old and got to, one of my one of my requirements was to memorize a psalm. Um, it is a psalm of David. The title of the psalm is, The Lord is My Shepherd. Um, so some of you even right now know exactly what psalm I'm referring to. Uh, but I'm just going to read it and I'll kind of walk through a couple thoughts. I love I love that David will take a few moments to highlight um, the characteristics of who God is. Uh, and he does it in two ways. He does it in one as a shepherd who cares deeply for his flock, his sheep. Uh, and it also shows him as a host who cares and provides for his guest. Uh, and so you see this tone that David uses in this psalm. Uh, So here's what it says. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Then he shifts out of the shepherd filter and he shifts into the host filter. And he says, your prepared table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
And that's and that's the end of it. That's the end of Psalm 23. Uh, and here and here's some things that I really do like about it and love it about it is as a sh- going to the shepherd filter for a second. As a shepherd, the job of a shepherd is to care, provide, protect, and direct the sheep. Uh, and so when David is 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 making this beautiful declaration, this beautiful confession, based upon his perception observation, he was a shepherd for many years before he became king, before he was anointed king, before he was part of Saul's court, um, and then fleeing Saul, he was a shepherd. Uh, and so he understood what a shepherd was intended to do. He understood that there was provision, and so he wouldn't be with he wouldn't he wouldn't have a need because the shepherd would provide. Um, he understood the role of a shepherd at the time was to make the sheep stop. So when he says he makes me lie down in green pastures, the the, the insinuation here is sometimes, and I actually was just talking to someone the last couple of weeks, and and this song kind of triggered in my mind. But the idea of sometimes he causes us to stop to rest. We're in, in the midst of our busyness, in the midst of our our ongoing agendas. Like there is this tension at times where it almost feels like God, why aren't you making a way? Why are you not helping lead forward? Because sometimes there's a, a, a need to pause and to rest. And it leads beside still waters. He restores my soul. Like he, there's just a lot of intentionality in what uh, the shepherd does for the sheep. And this is what David is attributing to God, which I think is so powerful. Uh, and then he, he he talks about the protection. So it's provision, but also protection, where it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Um, and there's a book that I, I, part of the reason why I love this psalm so much is there's a book by an author named Heath Adamson called Grace in the Valley, which is, is to be honest with you, is probably one of my favorite books when it comes to uh, reading and understanding this psalm, but I really do just think that the way that Heath breaks down and has insight based upon the Talmud and the, the Jewish literature to understand context and culture and um, different uh, innuendos, I guess is maybe one way to say it, but really kind of um, meaning behind the text of the Hebrew Bible. He just talks about this idea of like, it's in the it's in the midst of the valley that we see this contrast of the, the table being prepared um, and in the presence of my enemies. And, and here's the thing about Jewish culture, shepherding culture, nomadic culture. Oftentimes there would be nomads wandering through the wilderness different times with their sheep, their, their families, their material possessions, their wealth. And they would set up tent and they would sit down and they'd see a stranger or distant, uh, a stranger in the distance. And there'd be ways to communicate without communicating. And one would be an invitation to come sit down and you'd have a meal as the sun is setting, as the evening is coming, you would have this meal. And so to have a table set before, and when it says you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, it's this invitation to, to sit and relax in the midst of danger, in the midst of those who may come against you. David understood this powerful picture of God's provision. Uh, and then he talks about you anoint my head with oil as cu- was custom in, in nomadic culture in Jewish culture. You, when you, when someone would arrive and you'd invite them to sit, just like it, as it was carried on in modern ancient times, if you will, the lives of the life of Christ, is there would be the right rituals and the right traditions that you would have if you invite a guest into your home. There would be oil anointing. This is where Jesus, when he talks about the woman who anoints his feet and with her tears and wipes his feet with her hair, he talks to Simon in this in the story, and he says. You didn't give me any oil. You didn't wash my feet. You didn't. You didn't welcome me as a guest. So it's this picture that da- that David is presenting about the good shepherd, but who is also the great host. He anoints the head with oil. It's an. In- it's warm. It's inviting. It's your. You belong here. I want you to be here. Then it says, "My cup overflows." And this is something I never knew, which I think is so powerful when I read this. 
when the cup when the cup would come to a point of being halfway empty the way that you signal to the individual like please stay longer and stay as long as you want you would fill their cup they would signal or they would show or whatever and you would fill their cup full again and it would be a simple act of saying hey you're welcome to stay hmm. but then there are moments where maybe it's time to leave and maybe you've got to get to bed or you've got to do whatever you got to do obviously modern day translation to a degree they you would not fill their cup so when they would finish it then they would depart and so in david saying you my cup overflows what he's referring to is it's the invitation to stay and linger uh, with with the host it's it's an invitation to stay and not leave and not in essence not be kicked out i guess is one way to say it and so David is talking about the God in, the, in this picture as a good shepherd, as a protector, but also as a good host who cares deeply and creates the right space to provide, to care, to love. Uh, and then he says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so there's this, this powerful, I think, display of David's understanding of who God is, of God's provision, of his mercy, um, of, the, of we say it here at the Grove Church as belonging. Uh, we we really want to be about belonging, and there's just this beautiful picture that we see in Psalm 23 of, of David's understanding of his belonging uh, to to God as God's chosen instrument, as God's son. Uh, and I think that's what I love about Psalm 23 is just this beautiful uh, picture that we can lose in translation because we don't understand some of the context or the insights and understanding the language and the lingo. And so, um, but it's, it is one of my favorites, even as a kid, I remember memorizing it, but even now today at 38 years old now, I mean, 23 years later, I still, it still has a very deep, uh, deep peace, uh, and, and hold on my heart and understanding it. So, uh, so I love Psalm 23. I think it's going to be a fun read this week. Um, but that's, that's some of the depth and dif- different layers in the pictures that exist in that Psalm this week. Yeah. Psalm 23 is one of those things. It's funny because you referenced the book because I haven't read it, but Heath Adamson's the man. So I'm sure the book is great. He's a legit author. Um, but like, it's, it's so crazy that it's, it's one small chapter of the Bible that you really could spend just a whole book studying because there's so much stuff to it. Love it. Um, all right. Well, the other book we are kicking off, I shouldn't say the other book. As we wrap up, Mark, we are kicking off Chronicles. Uh, Chronicles is in the same boat as Samuel and Kings where it's, you know, it's, it's divided into mostly just because of length. It's, it's yeah. meant to be one continuous narrative. Um, what's interesting about Chronicles is it, it, retouches on a lot of the things that we went over in Samuel and Kings, but you'll notice uh, some really important differences, both in the context of how those things are being brought up and also in the fact that it mostly is like, oh yeah, Northern Israel, that was a thing that happened, but let's not talk about that very much. So, which, you know, (laughs) fine by me, those Kings sucked real bad, Yep, but uh, tradition tells us that Ezra is the author. So if that's the case, the differences in Kings and Chronicles make a ton of sense. So Kings is kind of, a huge bummer and the whole thing is culminating and leading up to this point where Jerusalem falls the end. Yep. And so it makes sense that Jeremiah is the author of that because he is the prophet whose ministry is taking place during this last kind of Josiah's dead cat bounce and then just like the absolute telling of ah oh, man Judah's a bummer. Was he? Was Jeremiah? <laughs> he was going during the reign of Manasseh, right? Or was he? Was that too old for him? That might have been too old for him. I don't remember. For his sake, I hope he wasn't. Because I'm boy, not the encyclopedia here, bro. That would be a, that would be a huge bummer to see Manasseh be king. Um, but Ezra is a prophet during the return of the Israelites. So after their years in exile, 
they return to Jerusalem under the kings of Persia. Um, and so there's a much more hopeful ending to Chronicles where it is talking, it talks about the fall of Jerusalem and all those things, but then it begins to talk about the return that's happening. So that's where I would say they're hand, they're touching on the same bits a little bit, although there are some differences and we'll talk about some of those, but they're also coming at it from a very different, um, a very different angle. So it's going to be, here's the deal. When, when you start off Chronicles, it's going to be a little bit of a slog, but stick with it. So, because <laughs> chapters- Just like some of these old books. Yeah. Chapters one through nine are genealogies, um, which I know are kind of like, oh man. But here's the thing. Um, one, one of the big things I try to encourage people to do when they read the Bible is as much as possible, take off your modern Western civilization glasses and try and put yourself into the lives yeah. of um, this. And this would be try to put yourself into the lives of a Jew who is returning to Jerusalem, or so maybe someone is you're growing up in this new Jerusalem that has been rebuilt with this new temple that's been rebuilt. Um, these would be, I mean, these would be incredible things to read about. And so as you're reading through them, try to think about, well, why would it be meaningful to, meaningful for you to read about this? So the genealogies we get, we get Adam to Abraham. So just think about, okay, well, you're going from the very first people into the father of your nation, the father of your faith. Uh, then you get from Abraham all the way to, I shouldn't say all the way to Jacob. You go Abraham to Jacob, which is kind of like that zoomed in uh, Genesis picture where you get to see just all of the incredible miracles that God does. And also that moment where Yahweh chooses you. He chooses your people to be the the special people that he set aside to, to use and to show his grace through. Like it's, it's incredible. It goes Jacob to David. So you see that uh, slipping into captivity in Egypt and coming out in the period of the judges. And then, and then, Yahweh establishes David as king and it begins this dynasty of kings that lasts that lasts for a few centuries and that's kind of the history that you're uh, embarking on now and then you go it goes from David all the way to the present um, present as of writing obviously not present today uh, but yeah, it's a 2022 yeah it goes we keep uh, adding to it wait what it includes all of the kings and then this also includes Zerubbabel who will come up uh, we'll talk about him when we get into Ezra and Nehemiah but he's a he's a really important guy as well uh, with a really rad name. Oh yeah, it is a it is weird to me that like most of the famous Bible characters, their names made it into modern parlance as far as like what we would name our kids. Zerubbabel is a great guy, and it's a bummer that his name is kind of just a slog to say. <laughs> uh, and then we get this long list of all of the descendants of each tribe of Israel. So again, imagine for many years there's just been this diaspora of all of the tribes of Israel. And now they're beginning to come together, not quite all of them, but they're beginning to kind of form. And so you're getting to read about the history of your tribe and what's, you know, what happened from when Asher was born. I don't know why I'm using Asher, but when, you know, when your tribal father was born all the way to now, and you get to see how the generations track is really cool. Uh, and then it's the records of those who made it back from the exile. So these are the people that you're living with. These are the people you're working with. These are the people that you're rebuilding the walls and the temple with, and you're getting to see all of their lineages and how they are connected to this old nation. So again, today we're just we're just not as interested in although I guess we are a little bit interested in genealogies when they pretend to us because it's fun to like For look sure. back on our ancestors. 23 and me. Yeah, that's true. Um but yeah, try to imagine this not just being a list of names that you don't care about. Try to imagine what it would be like for your these are your fathers, your your parents who are in these in these lists and getting to see the history of everything they went through. It's just a special thing. Uh, and then the last genealogy we get is the line of Saul. And this is where the story of Chronicles kind of picks up proper. So we're out of genealogies in chapter 10. 
and we get with we start with the death of Saul and Jonathan. So on the, you'll notice there that's a big difference between Samuel. We don't get much on the reign of Saul. It just kind of kicks off with Saul and Jonathan die. And the reason for that is Chronicles is mostly concerned with the line of David. So mm-hmm. it spends a lot of time on David, a lot of time on Solomon too, way more than Kings does. And then you kind of hit up the Kings of Judah all the way up until the present. The Kings of Israel are mostly afternotes, except when they affect the Kings of Judah. And then Saul is only mentioned in so much as I mean, he dies. So, and that's why David becomes King. Uh, so Saul's of course the first King of Israel. And I got to say, uh, you know, it's funny cause we were reading through Saul and Saul's a huge bummer. After reading through the kings of Israel and and Manasseh and Judah, Saul Saul looks pretty good. <laughs> like he's not a good king, but he's uh, he's you know he it could have been that could have been a lot worse. Aaron's hungry, and then <laughs> sorry if you heard that on the mic, but crazy. Anyway, uh, yeah, I think Saul comes away looking. He's not a good king, but he comes away looking a lot better than some of the kings that we were just reading about, for sure. Uh, and then in chapter 11, David is anointed king, and the rest of the chapter deals with his mighty men, which I just wanted to read through some of these, because like, I always feel, I always just love these footnotes, and these are the ones that, as a kid, I was like, I want to watch a movie about that. This sounds awesome. Yes, absolutely. So we're going to read this to kind of wrap up our uh, Bible reading portion of the podcast today. We'll be a little bit shorter this week, but... This is Chronicles chapter 11, verses 10 through 26, and it says this. Now, these are the chiefs of David's mighty men who gave him strong support in his kingdom together with all of Israel to make him king according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. This is an account of David's mighty men. Jehosh- oh, I should have looked up some of these. Uh, Jehoshaphat, a Hakamite who is chief of the three, he wielded his spear against 300 whom he killed at one time. That's it. We don't. So basically, well done, sir. yeah, dude, just taking out 300 guys. That's awesome. And again, I, I also want to preface these, these are not so much meant to be like, oh, look how awesome this guy is. These are all clearly supposed to be miracles as well. So just pay attention as you're reading that. Uh, and next to him among the three mighty men was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, which that's an unfortunate name, but what are you going to do? Uh, the Hel- the Eloite. Uh, he was with David at Pastamon when the Philistines were gathered there for battle. There was a plot of ground full of barley and the men fled from the Philistines. But he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and killed the Philistines and the Lord saved them by a great victory. Who sweet. Uh, three of the 30 chief men went down to the rock to David at the cave at Adullam when the army of the Philistines was encamped in the Valley of Raphaim. Remember, this is when... David has the chance to kill Saul for a second time, and Abishai is like, "Hey, let me put him to the ground." Yeah, let, let me do it. Let it, me won't, do it. it won't. I won't need to strike twice because you have to whisper because he's around them when they're sleeping. It's true. Uh, David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then at uh, Bethlehem. And David said longingly, "Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate." Oh, wait, hold on. I'm sorry, listeners. I totally led you astray there. That was the army of the Philistines being encamped, not the army of Saul. Shoot. Well. That's embarrassing. You're a liar. I am a deceiver. Uh, I missed it too. I wasn't even. All right. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and they brought it to David, but David would not drink it. And he poured it out to the Lord and said, far be it from me before my God that I should do this. Shall I drink the lifeblood of these men for at the risk of their lives? They brought it. Therefore, he would not drink it. These things did the three mighty men. So that's pretty sweet. Basically, they go into this camp of Philistines, they steal water and they bring it back because David was like, I'm thirsty. I'm getting some really mixed signals from David at this point. Does he want to drink a water? Does he not want to drink a water? Because yeah. his men got him to drink a water. I, mean, I get it because he's kind of doing it as a sign of respect that he wouldn't drink it because of like the amount of risk that they would do for their lives. But also it's like, you know, I brought this all this way. <laughs> Listen, I just have my two-year-old daughter 
in my mind when she wants something and he's like, no, I don't want it. And so I just don't understand. I just need David to, to be clear about what he wants. So that's just me though. There you be. Next up, we say, now Abishai, the brother of Joab, was chief of the 30, and he wielded his spear against 300 men and killed them and won a name beside the three. So, hey, yeah, you think th- killing 300 men is something special? Well done, sir. Happened twice. Uh, he was the most renowned of the 30 and became their commander, but he did not attain to the three. I feel like if I'm Abishai reading through this, I'm like, okay, you don't have to keep saying that, you know? Yeah, stop rubbing it a, in. I had a good career. Gosh. And then Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was a, val- a valiant man of Kabzeel, a doer of great deeds. He struck down two heroes of Moab. He also went down and struck down a lion in a pit on a day when snow had fallen. Uh, and he struck down an Egyptian, a man of great stature, five cubits tall. The Egyptian had in his hand a spear like a weaver's beam. But Benaiah went down to him with a staff and snatched the spear out of the Egyptian hands and killed him with his own spear. Uh, that's pretty sweet. Listen, I think that first part about the lion would make a really rad book title. Name. Oh, Independent Lion was a snowy day. That'd yeah. Be, that would that, be it's just title. catchy. Mm. Thank you, Mark Patterson. Well, these things did Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he won a name besides the three, beside the three mighty men. He was renowned among the 30, but he did not attain to the three, and David set him over his bodyguard. The mighty men were Asael, the brother of Joab, and Elanon, the son of Dodo, in Bethlehem. What a name, Dodo. Dodo, yeah. He had, and he had he he did two mighty men, Eleazar and Elahan. So that's hey, good for them. Good work, Dodo. It's no three like Zeruiah was able to pump out, but you know, either way, nothing to be ashamed of. That's Such for sure. A weird way to say it. Pump out. <laughs> pump out. You know. What and you technically, getting? his name could be Dudu because it's D O D O. That's true. Hope now I just hope it's Dudu. Uh, yeah. So there you go. I just I just love the Mighty Men. I think they're they're great. And obviously they're not supposed to be the main characters of the story. No, not at so all. So that's why they are given the footnote treatment. But some of those things are just like it's fun to think about just the action movies that you could make with David's Mighty Men. Uh, and then also, yeah, you see Benaiah where he gets a lot of play when Solomon becomes king because he kind of becomes Solomon's right hand man. But he's he's doing pretty cool stuff all the way up until then. So you know, Benaiah. An underrated, an underrated mighty man. That's for sure. It's very true. Not as much as Abishai though. Abishai's the best. So just kidding. Sure. Um, are we, we going to rank the mighty men now? I mean, we don't have the kings <laughs> one. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right. Well, before we wrap up this week, we did have a question come in. So we wanted to yes. do that. And here we go. It says, good morning, learned gents. Thank you. Well, it's actually the, I'm this is little, actually the afternoon. I'm, I think I'm a little bored. offended by that. Gents, comment. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, here's a philosophical question for you. Before Jesus fulfilled the law, did Jews go to heaven? Ooh. If yes, can they still get to heaven if they follow the practices of the law, which granted seems really hard, or because of Jesus, their path to heaven has been irreparably uh, altered? If no, well, that sucks for them. Uh, That's the best part of the question. <laughs> yeah. It made me laugh when I read it. So basically this comes down to, well, okay, so first off, I think yes, um, they're there is clearly a way that God made for pre-Christian followers of him to be with him in eternity. So I don't think there's, um, I don't think there's any evidence that like all of those guys are in hell right now because of that. So it kind of all comes down to how you view a little bit of, is there a place beforehand? Oh, the other thing I would say is if we remember the story of Lazarus and the rich man, so not the Lazarus who dies, although actually this Lazarus also dies, but not the Lazarus who comes back, not the Lazarus who comes back to life. Um, Not Jesus' good friend. Exactly. So there's a story told about a rich man 
and a poor man. And the poor man is the only one who's named, and his name is Lazarus, and they both die. And then we see this moment where uh, the poor man is in Sheol, and he's able to look. And the, the place, I believe, is called Abraham's Bosom, which is kind of an interesting interesting name for the place. But it's some sort of a holding place. Um, and so we would say that that is probably where um, the Yahweh-fearing people – because I also don't want – I also want to make sure it's not – we don't say just Jews. Because I think that's a mistake that we can make when we read the Bible is that only Jews were – you were the ones who went to heaven. Yeah, agreed. Um, no, there's, there's, we have uh, Moses' father-in-law, who Jethro. I don't know why his name was escaping me there. Um, but you also have Job. You have a few other people who are clearly non-Israelites, but they're also Yahweh worshipers. So you don't want to just kind of narrow it down into Israelites as well. Uh, but yeah, I, I would say pretty clearly that God makes a way for them. Um, as far as non-Christians today, I would say that yeah, you're right in the sense that post-Christ, I would say that he is the only way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so um, I, I don't think that you can follow the law and then get to heaven on, on the back of that. Um, so yeah, those would be the things. I, I also would say there's that passage in Hebrews that talks about, and I should have written down the, the reference number, but essentially saying that it was counted faith that all, Abraham and all these people, that their, um, their faith and their trust in Yahweh, even not fully understanding the work of Christ that was to come, was counted to them as righteousness as well. So ultimately, though, I guess from my perspective, I don't know if you have anything you're going to add on this, but ultimately, I think it's one of those things that we kind of just have to trust God on. He's not giving us the details of how it works or the details of, of why and what, and we kind of just have to trust that God is good and he's made a he's clearly made a way for those people, and we don't know exactly how it works or why it works the way it does, but that's kind of where I would land it on. Yeah, no, I think I think you're right. I think we um, there's certain levels of of understanding that we we just have to base faith upon. Um, where when God when God when God had a plan from the very beginning creation, he he knew what was going to happen, and so it may right. not always be clear exactly for our minds to understand how it plays out. It's as it's absolutely legitimate question. I mean, um, and I think it's one to to, to ask for sure, but. Uh, I think time is a big influence. I think um, Christ has made a way. He's bridged the gap. Um, and, and I think that, that that's not just a from the moment he died moving forward. I think it's an all-encompassing time um, time in sacrifice, if that makes sense. It, mm-hmm. it bridges all the gaps. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's not, it's retroactive as well as proactive. And so um, I think, I, I think I agree with you at the end of the day. I mean, there's not much beyond that. So. Right. I feel like I don't add much to the question besides just random commentary. So, well, it's one of those in it's, that regard. It's one of those questions that's very speculative because the Bible doesn't really tell us how it works. It's yeah. just like literally the passage we have is that Hebrews passage saying yeah. that it was their faith was counted to them as righteousness, and so well, yeah. and it, and it brings up. I mean, dare I even ask this or say this? But it does bring up just the the even the much bigger question as far as you know, when we die, do we are we immediately present with the Lord, or is there a delayed uh, right. presence? At the end of the day, we won't know. What we'll know is the moment we pass away, we are no longer limited by time. We now are in, in an eternal reality um, mm-hmm. because our spirits are before the Lord. So there is this like so the, time is a big influence. Time is a big uh, caveat that we have to be mindful of. But when we talk about eternal things, we are only understanding from a finite mentality and, and a, right. a temporary time restricted reality. So so I guess well we we have a little bit of time so we can talk about this for a sec. I would I would highly recommend we've talked about this book before, but the book Heaven by Randy Alcorn yeah. is fantastic if you're curious about kind of just and he does a really good job of kind of presenting 
Here's what scripture says. Um, here's a few different beliefs that you can have based off of what scripture says, even if we disagree. Um, and then he also spends a good chunk of the book kind of with his own speculation, but he makes it clear when he's saying, this is just my speculation, but based off of what scripture says, here's what might be happening in heaven. So cool, cool things there. Um, the time thing that Aaron's talking about is essentially there's, um, there's three different ways that you could view the way that um, our death and then being with Jesus works. So the first way would be that when we die, our spirits go into some sort of a holding place that would also be the new heaven, that would be before the new heavens and the new earth. So there is a a present heaven that our spirits go to be with Jesus and, and to be with God now. And then when the new heavens and the new earth are brought are brought together, when they're created, that's where we go. Uh, the second one would be that God exists outside of time. And so that when we die, we all go to be with the Lord essentially on the, at the same time, because mm-hmm. it's not as if God is subject to time. So basically all of us die in our minds, we perceive us dying as co- at completely different times, but God can gather all souls to himself from all time at the same time, which is kind of a weird mind twisting. Well, I feel like, about. I feel like uh, the different... <laughs> with the different movies and shows that deal with time travel. And, and yeah. I think of Flash, when it talks about the different lines, you you jump out of time here, but there's still a parallel universe. So it's just mm-hmm. this kind of, we are, we are restricted by our, by our time, by the reality of time in our current age. Because we can't escape time. Because we can. And when we, when we pass away on this earth, when we fall asleep, as Jesus would allude to, um, we are then, eternity is what we are then present in. And so it's mm-hmm. something that we will not clearly understand. Until we stand before the Lord. like yep. So So there is that layer and component to it as well. And then the last one would be people believe that when you die, you actually do um, metaphorically fall asleep and then your spirit is awakened when the, at, at the return of Christ. So yeah. those are kind of the three. I, I, I'm, this is a very like... Uh, you could close-handed con- issue for you. Yeah, just you kidding. Could, you it's could, very open-handed. Yeah, you could convince me really either way. Um, I tend to hold the holding place just because it's referenced a little bit a few times in scripture, and so I think that that is probably the way um, that it works. But all three of those have some level of merit, and it, they kind of work out. So there you go. If you're if you're interested in reading more, like I said, uh, Heaven by Randy Alcorn is a really is a really good book there. So yep, great great resource. Boom. Well, yeah, good question. With that being said, listeners, uh, hopefully you enjoyed this week's podcast. That does wrap it up. We are a podcast of the Grove Church, but we're not the only resource of the Grove Church. You can find our message archive and uh, some other resources on our website, grove.church. And if this podcast has been a blessing to you and you'd like to financially contribute to the ministry that the Grove Church does, you can also do that on our website. There's a gift button in the upper right-hand corner. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.